Hello, and welcome to Small Business Happy Hour, a podcast where we interview a different entrepreneur or small business owner every week to hear their story. We chat about their business, passions, struggles, and all things small business. Oh, and we drink with our guests during the interview, hence the happy hour. I'm your host, Derek, founder of Yoga for All Humans, a fully online yoga studio. And I'm your host, Holly, creator of the blog, The Bitter Lemon, and author of many books. We are so happy you're here. Hi, Holly. Hi. How goes it? Pretty good. I just saw you because I took one of your yoga classes. (laughs) It's been so long. (laughs) I know, right? Long time to see. Yeah, that one's fun. So the one that Holly took is called Yoga for Beginners. And it's like, we just take our time like exploring different ways to do common yoga poses. And the whole point of it is so that whenever you're in a yoga class where a teacher isn't necessarily giving you, you know, recommendations for different ways to do things, you kind of feel more prepared to do what feels best for your body. Yeah, you can have them in your arsenal. In your arsenal, exactly. I'm trying to get back into my fitness game just because I've been noticing like not really feeling so great in the last couple months. And I definitely think it's due to just a sort of slow reach to like a sedentary lifestyle. I really hate Mm -hmm. saying that, but that's the truth of what has happened. Yeah. And it's like before COVID, I was going to the yoga studio every day. I wasn't necessarily doing yoga every day, but I was either doing bar or yoga. I felt really strong. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. know if I was necessarily fit or healthy, but I felt really strong. Like I felt like, you know, when you're starting a new workout or something like that, and it's hard at first, but then you start to get better at it and it becomes harder in in different ways because Mm -hmm. you can like do the moves even better. That's how I was feeling right before COVID. And then when lockdown started, the studio I was going to started doing virtual classes. So I was doing that for a while. And then I just started taking walks like around my apartment complex. And obviously not all apartment complexes are the same, same, but I would assume a lot are the same. And like, for me, I would try and get like two miles. And in order to walk two miles, you have to walk around my complex like five times. Mm -hmm. And I just started getting really like self-conscious about people watching me walk or people staring at me when I was walking, whether they like just think I'm weird or think I'm breaking into someone's apartment or what, like, I don't know, (laughs) but it was like getting to the point where like, I was having such a mental block, even going on walks. And I just straight up like stopped doing much of anything physical. I would go to some of the yoga classes, like for yoga for all humans, but a lot of times it was more just like meditation or relaxation based, which is great. But I feel Mm -hmm. like I just lost a lot of like my muscle strength. So I mentioned before that I got a walking pad for Christmas, but I had no real like plan for it. I just thought, oh, I'll jump on it. Like whenever I have time, which I do, but I think for me, like I need to be a little bit more intentional about my Mm -hmm. efforts. So I started walking on every day right now. I just have like a minimum goal of 2000 steps. And then 
I usually get a couple thousand steps while I'm at work. So some days I just do the minimal 2000, but sometimes when I put like an hour long TV show, I can get like five or 6,000 steps on Mm -hmm. the pad. And even just doing that, like every day for a week, like I already like feel better. So it's like after getting over that hurdle of just doing it, like now I'm like, okay, this is not horrible. Like I can do it. And now I don't feel, I was feeling like really just weak in my muscles and I haven't felt that way. So I'm relieved. That's good. Yeah. Walking is something I'm still working on. <laughs> yeah. Cause I still need to get out more to walk the dogs. I don't know. I've just had ups and downs where, you know, either work or just fatigue got in the way, you know? So well, that's good. I'm glad that you're feeling better. Yeah. It's, and I am trying to drink more water. I feel like that's a struggle for me. Always been a struggle for me my whole life, but yeah, I feel like I've been taking like a big thing of water to work with me and try and like finish it before my shift is over. That's good. So, yeah. Fun. I had, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before the, the gay blood band. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I met up with Zaina yesterday, which is one of our podcast guests that we had before met up with her for like a coffee chat. We said we were going to be productive, but we weren't, we just talked the whole time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we have plans to be productive. But I met up with her and I was telling her about, you know, my issue giving blood. And she was like, this sounds so familiar. Have you talked about it on the podcast? And I was like, I don't know, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe so. So I went back this Thursday. Yeah. Cause I have to give blood every other month um, as like a therapeutic blood draw. Yes. We have talked about this because my red blood cell count is high and it was like the highest it's ever been this time, like really close to the danger zone. So I'm glad that I'm doing it. I always get pissed off just because it's not being donated. It's being discarded. Hopefully that changes soon. But this time it was really insult to injury because they were given donors Girl Scout cookies. Oh God. Like every blood donor got a, free box of Girl Scout cookies and they were making like a big production of it at the check-in which like I don't check in like everyone else does so I'm already different and so like a check-in I was hearing all these people like they're like oh you get a free box of Girl Scout cookies for donating what what, what kind do you want I was like you got to keep these. the kind yeah they had like four different kinds I was about to say they probably gave them like the fucking nasty lemon ones or whatever the hell Ew. <laughs> <laughs> but if you got to pick like damn I know. And so like, I'm sitting there like feeling really left out because I can't get my fucking Girl Scout cookies because I love Girl Scout cookies. So like whenever I go back to actually give my blood, the phlebotomist, she was really sweet. And I was just like, I feel really sad because I can't get Girl Scout cookies because I'm not allowed to donate blood. And she was like, I agree. It's bullshit. What kind do you want? I'll go get you some. And so she ain't got me my Thin Mints. Yay! I know. It was so sweet. I, I mean, I didn't really expect her to do it, but she was so sweet. And it was just like, yeah, I agree. It's bullshit. Hopefully one day you can actually donate. Well, I'm glad you got the Thin Mints. I am too. And I made a TikTok video about it. It's blowing I, up. I might be going viral on TikTok. Oh, wow. <laughs> I saw your reels about it. There's a lot of people actually commenting on it on TikTok. I've never had... People actually comment on my videos on TikTok. People are fired up about it. So that's good. People should be fired up about it. 
Yep. Raising awareness. Um, <laughs> soon enough, I should be able to donate blood because the new legislation, I don't know when it's going into effect, is like gay men are men who have sex with men who are monogamous uh-huh. for like three months can donate blood if they're not taking prep. If you're on prep, you can't donate blood. Right. So there's still a lot of gay men that'll be ruled out. Baby it's also stuff. stupid. Like, it's like, they could just lie. Everyone could just lie. Right. And I mean, that's what we talked about before. Like, straight people are not, like, monogamous right. and perfect either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On a positive note, I guess that was positive because I got my cookies. Um, cookies, yeah. I did get my cookies. Uh, I found a new TV show that I think that you would like. It's called Not Dead Yet. Have you heard of it? I don't think so. I want to say it's on Hulu. I don't know if you have Hulu. I do um, Hulu. Okay, I think it's on Hulu. It's called Not Dead Yet. And it has the girl... Did you watch Jane the Virgin? No. Okay, do you know who the actress is in Jane the Virgin? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. She's the main character in this okay. show. And I love her. I forget what her name is. I know it's not America Ferreira, but she they remind me of each other. Um, and then did you watch New Girl? No. Oh, come on. <laughs> I know. I feel like I have not watched so many popular yeah. shows to watch. Like, I never watched One Tree Hill. And I, I feel didn't like either. that is on my list of things that I need to watch. Yeah, I never watched that either. So the new girl, there was a character named Cece who I loved. She reminds me of um, Jamila Jamil. Um, okay. I've always wanted this actress to have more roles because she was so good and new girl. There were a lot of annoying people in new girl, but she didn't annoy me. So she's like the best friend and another main character in the show, but it's really good. It's like, you know, one of those like 20 to 30 minute shows, like mm-hmm. easily digestible, um, very silly, very funny, but also like a lot of real moments too. Um, and the general concept is this girl, like, kind of uprooted her life, moved like to Paris for a man, you know, and of course now they're broken up. She's back. She's having to like restart her career because she gave up her career. So she's having to restart her career, has like a roommate who's kind of weird and you kind of figure out why. And then just dealing with bullshit at work. She was like working at like a newspaper and so they stick her in the obituaries. Uh And then like the whole premise of the show is like, she can see the dead people that she's writing the obituary about. Okay. Yeah. And so it just goes from there. It's good. It's funny. Writing obituaries is a common first start for writing. Yeah. Right. So that's where they stuck her because they're like, you got to yeah. start over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's it called again? Not dead yet. I'm going to write it down. I'll it's really it. good. And then I'm excited because I'm going to Trader Joe's today. <laughs> Yay! Every now and then I'll do like a big Trader Joe's haul. I haven't been in forever. So I'm going to go to Trader Joe's because I want to make homemade pizza. Okay, yeah. And they have, are you doing? They have really good pizza dough. Yeah, I was about to say like they have, but then I was like, maybe you're making your own too. Yeah, they have good pizza dough. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not there yet. You know, I'm going to try to like, probably do, find a a recipe in that Jamie Oliver book that I use to do my lasagna. But I'm not making my own dough. 
Trader Joe's also has shredded almond mozzarella. That's good. <gasps> Fuck yeah. That sounds good. Good to know. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I I am the same. I don't do like all my shopping at Trader Joe's, but like I'll sometimes get like a hankering for certain things that they have. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I need to go and get like all the Trader Joe's things. Yeah. Their frozen section is just so fucking good. There's so many yeah. good frozen things. They do have good frozen stuff. And so, yeah, I had a little bit of a rough week this week freelance wise Mm. um my free I have like one main freelance client and we have I'm not gonna lie like we've had a rocky road you know I she was someone that I don't even know how to say this proper like someone I know referred me to her Mm -hmm. um so we started working together like in September real small like one two articles a month and this is something I really like a lot of freelancers that I follow that are really successful in their business have it down pat like they have these contracts that they send people they have certain rules like if you know I have less than a 24-hour turnaround I charge you 30% more or if you don't pay me Mm. on time I find you this or whatever I have honestly never like I've never been like that. And most of the time it's worked out for me, but a lot of times it's screwed me over that I haven't like put measures in place to protect me either financially or mentally. Mentally Mm -hmm. is really like where it, because the boundaries are just like not there. I made the mistake of like, since starting off so small with her, I didn't, I didn't set those boundaries. Like whether we're talking about a contract or just saying like, Hey, I don't work like this. Mm. And now that the work ramped up, I feel like I really like kind of screwed myself over because there's now such an expectation to be available 24 seven. And that's not right. Like that's not. And I, I, I am always fully transparent about the money that I make. I feel like that's something that's necessary among freelancers, among people, among women. And like, when I'm telling you, like the most I've ever billed this client is $3,200 a month. So that does not make it possible for me to sit and be Mm -hmm. available 24 seven. When I tell you, I set my slack to be unavailable forever. I just put myself offline. Mm -hmm. Like I'm there, but like, it's not going to be green. (laughs) I don't blame you. Because I do not work like that. Obviously I'm not paid to work like that, but even like everyone needs boundaries. For me, the biggest thing is like, I need to know when the deadlines are and when stuff is really due so that I can plan my day. Not only because I have other work to do, like with uh, my retail job, but I also have personal projects I'm working on. And I just want to know, hey, do I have an hour to take a lunch? You know, I really hope I don't sound like a whiny baby. But now I'm just like, I feel like, okay, I got my glasses on. I can see what's happening here. And I now have a mental goal of like when I want to be done with this, like whether it's be done with freelancing or be done with this particular client, because I don't feel good about myself when I'm doing work for her. I don't feel good about the situation. I feel really taken advantage of, to be totally honest with you. So Mm -hmm. 
on the one hand, like sometimes it really sucks to realize like, okay, I'm getting burned. But on the other hand, I'm like, okay, well, now I know. Now I know. And I'm making proactive efforts to find more freelance clients for right now. I'm also, I I really don't know if I want a full-time job, but I'm looking just to see what's out there for part-time work even. But this morning I woke up, like I set my alarm to like wake up early and I wanted to like chill before I took your yoga class. And I finished the Sean Avery book. Oh gosh. Okay. I, I mentioned it like a few episodes ago. He's like a kind of like a, I guess, controversial hockey player just because he's like really known for like getting in all the fights and whatever. So I read this book, like not really knowing too much else about him. I knew that he was like into fashion and stuff like that. Um, But even like the forward of the book is like, he's basically saying like, if you, you know, pegged me as a villain, like if you think that hurt my feelings, like you actually made me more famous and more richer. So he's kind of taking this, like, you know, embracing that image. And throughout the whole book, he's kind of like, trying to say that that's just like an on ice personality that he used to like propel his hockey career, which when you're reading the book, I think if you take that as truth, then you can be like, okay. I think obviously all of us feel like misunderstood throughout our life. And as someone like for me, like who has felt misunderstood in a lot of like jobs that I've had, like you can read books like that and be like, okay, look at, look at Sean Avery, like someone who's won the Stanley Cup, someone who has been seen as controversial in his career, but that like benefited him in different ways. And he's still like a good person and whatever, like, but a couple things in the book, I was like, hmm, obviously he's writing this book about himself. So what is he like not saying? So mm-hmm. as soon as I finished the book, I read this book, slapped the cover shut and Googled Sean Avery arrested just just to see. Dude has been arrested on all kinds of wackadoo stuff. And he mentions being arrested one time in the book, one time for Uh having like a wild party where the noise was too loud and the charges were later dropped. That's the only time in the book he mentions it. He was also arrested on drug charges. He was also arrested for throwing shit at cars passing by. He was arrested for ramming his scooter into cars that were getting too close to the bike lane in New York City. He was arrested for criminal mischievous like criminal mischievous like so so much stuff and i'm like okay (laughs) you're only allowed to say it's a persona right it is (laughs) like but i was like this has to be dated this has to be dated especially because the last chapter or two of the book is like him meeting his wife which i was like wait huh and never knew this dude was married and would never think especially by the way he talks about women throughout the book i would have never thought okay this guy actually like respects someone enough to marry them but that was another thing i googled instead of googling sean avery marriage i just straight up googled sean avery divorced Nothing wrong with getting a divorce, but I was like, something ain't right. Something ain't right. So not only he did get married, 
but then was arrested a few days later. Then he's was divorced after they they were married for like five or six six years, something like maybe seven. So that's how I could place like the timing of the book. So I think the book came out like probably 2016, something like that. Mm -hmm. Right after he like right after he was married and he's not, you know, he's he does not play hockey anymore. There's celebrities just like any other celebrity. And so I know as like someone who watches professional sports, you know, you always assume like their DMs are blowing up. They're hooking up with like models left and right. But I have yet to read like a sports memoir that actually like acknowledges that. And this one did, which on the one hand, I I appreciate the honesty. But on another hand, it's like some of the ways he speaks about women is like uh, a little tough to read. There's this moment in the book where another hockey player is dating like his ex. And I don't know what happened. Like if he just got super pissed off, but he literally like walks outside after a game and all these reporters are like wanting to ask him about it. And he makes this comment about, um, yeah, my comment is I love how all, all of my teammates want to get with my sloppy seconds. Oh goodness. And reading it in the book is one thing, but I looked up the video after and it's like, oh my God, it's bad. Like just the, his arrogance and saying it, he was like suspended from the NHL for a certain period of time after saying it. Um, so I, I feel like this is just such a weird feeling because I close this book and I'm like, <laughs> wow, I feel so conflicted. Like this is why they say, don't meet your heroes. Was Sean yeah. a hero? No, but People always ask me, like, if you met John Mayer, what would you ask him? What would you talk to him about? And I'm like, oh, my God, I hope I never meet him because I already know. <laughs> but I just feel like, wow, you are really selective in the stuff you put in this book. Interesting how that works out. <laughs> yeah. Even following people on socials that you like sometimes mm-hmm. can backfire. Like Ian Somerhalder was one of them. I used to have the biggest crush on him and then start following him on Instagram. And I was like, Ugh. You're fucking skis. I don't like you anymore. You know? Yeah, right. It's like, okay, I think like if you're really like, ooh, he's like hockey's bad boy on the ice and he's like threatening and blah blah blah. But outside of it, he's like this big softy, like, yeah, I can get like the appeal of that. Mm-hmm. But then reading the book and be like, oh no, he's actually looking in the stands for like people to go home with and he's like getting arrested and just generally being like a giant dick. I don't know if I'm into that too much. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, good for him. But, I mean, the book isn't telling the full truth. <laughs> <laughs> so take that, Sean Avery. If you're listening, your book is not telling the full truth. So who's the coward now? <laughs> well, speaking of books, <laughs> our guest this week, Dr. Amina Johnson, we had an amazing conversation with this was our first nonprofit that we talked to right our first nonprofit yep our first nonprofit yeah. and she is the executive director for hope in a box yeah and hope in a box i said you know that's a good segue because their whole mission is to bring lgbtq books into education spaces um, from elementary all the way up to high school so that's their mission is to help children feel seen. And I talk in the podcast about how I would have loved that, you know, as as a gay kid growing up in really conservative areas 
And it's also important for just more awareness of, you know, non-LGBTQ people to, you know, start thinking about becoming allies early in life. Yeah. And like Amina said, just understanding that the world is full of different people, different ideas, Mm -hmm. cultures. I don't really think we we haven't really mentioned it, but like Amina, uh, Dr. Amina is our last guest of the season. Mm -hmm. You know, when we set out to create the podcast, we did say small businesses for profit and nonprofit, but this is our first one. So I think the conversation that we were able to have with her is is different than what we had with other guests on the podcast so far. I was nervous given her scholarly credentials. I was so nervous Mm -hmm. about being prepared and just, you know, I wanted to like respect her knowledge of the space. And um, she was so kind and gave us so much information. Um, I think people are really going to walk away from hearing it, understanding so much more about just the landscape, like the political landscape of not only the attacks against the LGBTQ community that are happening now, but just generally like everyone that's not cis white straight, basically. Yeah. Um, Which is, is tough. Like I know for me, like I kind of shared like how I discovered hope in a box, which I shared on the podcast before, you know, I'm an empath and I think like just any type of news that comes out about attacks on different communities just hits me so hard. And I think a lot of us are worried about the future, even though I wish we didn't have to have, you know, nonprofits like hope in a box. Like I'm glad, I'm glad it's already established and out there doing the work. It's obviously work that is needed. Yeah, no kidding. It was such a good conversation and I hope we can talk to more nonprofits moving forward. I mean, that we will. Because it is, it's just a very different conversation. Um, Everyone should listen and go donate to Hope in a Box because a lot of their donations are from individual contributors, not, you know, major sponsors or anything. Yeah. Well, I hope you all enjoy and we will have a wrap up episode before the season officially ends and we take a little bit of a just a little bit of a break focus on some of our lives a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) all right well here she comes y'all enjoy welcome there you are hi 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 dr amina hello dr johnson i guess Just fine. We're at happy hour. Amina is just fine. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us and thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you all so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. Of course. I mean, we're honored to have you. So, yes, we're the ones we are that are so excited. Although you are our most scholarly guest thus far. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> we were like, okay, let's see if she shows up with a drink. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what? My background is in the way. Absolutely, yes. I have a drink. Yeah. What are you drinking? So this is a drink that I call the Pea Valley. You know the okay. show Valley? <laughs> um, my friends and I love this show. And so one night I made up this drink that is uh cranberry pineapple juice, white rum, and mm. 
say Grand Marnier, but I ran out. So I used um what orange caraco. How do you I don't know how to say that? Oh, curacao. Orange curacao. Yeah. Usually, but I didn't have any. So I used orange curacao today. But uh P Valley is the show and the, the club in the show is named the pink. So it's a like a pink kind of drink. But yeah. That's what I'm drinking. Wow. We love a themed cocktail. We do. That's so amazing. A few of your shows and Holly, you think that you love themed cocktails as well. <laughs> I do. I do. She does. And I love red wine, so that's what I have. <laughs> I'm actually drinking a Loverboy Spritz, which is also from a TV show. There's a reality show called Summer House on Bravo. And some of the cast on Summer House created Loverboy, this uh, an alcohol beverage company, and they make hard teas and the spritz. And I prefer the spritz. The spritz are wine-based uh, canned cocktail, whereas the hard teas are like the kind of like the malt liquor, like really similar to like Truly or White Claw, which... I've tried all the teas. Some of them are okay, but I prefer the spritz. So went with that. Check that out. Yeah, it's good. I love it. Yay. This is great. I'm to be here. Yeah, we uh, on a Wednesday evening, right? And I'm glad we were able to make a time work for you. Um, Like I said, I, so like I have some on-site classes. My studio itself is fully virtual, but I've been trying to do on-site classes to expand the reach. And I was having to teach like back-to-back Wednesday, Thursday night classes. And thank God I found like a good teacher here in Austin to help me out with Wednesday classes. So awesome. yoga for all humans sounds amazing. So thank you. I went on the website and yeah. I love how it's ability inclusive and size inclusive and all of those things. Sounds amazing. Yeah. That's the goal. Cause I mean, I feel like we're all just trying to solve like these big problems in any way we can. You know, I feel like that's kind of where we're all at in the world, you know, with with your project as well. And, you know, if you have the ability to do it, I feel like you're doing the world a disservice if you don't try, you know. So that's what I'm doing. It's just trying my best. Well, we're not here to talk about yoga for all humans. We're here to talk about you. So I would love um, to hear like your 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 story. Who are you? Who is who is Dr. Amina? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, before I was Dr. Amina Johnson, um, I was Amina Johnson, and I was a little girl who grew up in a town called Appomattox, Virginia, which some people may have heard of. Um, it's where the Civil War ended. I often tell. Oh people, yeah, I guess so. When they're like, I have never heard of mathematics. I was like, you were probably asleep in history class. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I grew up in Virginia in the South. One of the stories that I often tell when I talk about why I'm drawn to the work that I'm drawn to is that my grandfather, when I was about five years old, used to drive people to the polls to vote. In 1979, 1978, given my age. <laughs> um, and so he, he used to drive people to the polls. And he won that particular year, he took me. And this is one of my fondest memories of my grandfather. And he took me with him to the polls as he picked people up, right? And most of the people that he picked up were Black women and, you know, 
in between the rides after, you know, the black women most certainly hand me starlight mints <laughs> um, in the back. <laughs> like they, they put their hand in the back and they hand me a mint and I would love that. But in between those rides, he would talk to me about how important it is to vote and how important it is for Black folks to vote and just that sort of responsibility to make your life and other people's lives better. Um, And my father passed away like a year or so after that. And Mm. I was little, but I really, really remember that. And it had a huge um, impact on my life. And, you know, the other thing that I think about when it comes to Hope in a Box, because, you know, at Hope in a Box, what we do is we provide LGBTQ inclusive books to educators so that students can feel included and welcome and that sort of thing in schools and seen. And I think about when I was little, I'm going to date myself again, but I actually <laughs> learned how to read on Dick and Jane books. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with Dick and Jane books, but C-Spot Run <laughs> kind of books. And, you know, Dick, Jane, their little sister Sally and mommy and daddy uh, didn't look anything like me, right? Not mm-hmm. only did they not look like me, I didn't even recognize like the scene, the place, right? Where they were. And so I didn't have anyone to represent me as a black a black girl, as a queer person. And I think about how often and how wonderful it would have been if I'd had some representation in my blackness, my womanhood and my queerness. That's why I'm doing this work is because I think everybody deserves to see themselves represented. And that's what we do. And Hope in the Box also helps teachers. You know, part of what we do is we provide teachers, not just with books, but curriculum to go along with those books. We have small groups where teachers can come together and talk about not just the books, but talk about what they're going through. You know, Hope in the Box, the national organization. So we have people that are from, you know, New York City, Philadelphia, to, you know, California, like the mountains of California, right? All across the country. So we have people that are fighting book bans and we have people who, if the curriculum is in their school. That's who I am and why I do what I do. I just want representation. And I'd like to say too, that these books are not just good for LGBTQ students. They're good for all students. People mm-hmm. need to, the world is a diverse place. There's all kinds of people. And, you know, the subjects that they talk about affect all people. So that's who I am a little bit and what Open About is. I love it. You said, you know, you didn't feel seen. I I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, so the Deep South, um, and went to a private Southern Baptist school from fifth grade to 12th grade. And okay. I was telling I was telling Holly before we got on here, because, you know, book banning is obviously going to be a topic that we talk about. I was like, we didn't have Harry, Harry Potter was banned at my school. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so like, I mean, I can't even imagine how I would have felt growing up if I had had just books that like made me feel seen because I was just like beyond confused because I was battling you know, Christianity and, you know, of course, you know, pray away the gay. And I was trying to pray away the gay myself. And, you know, it was just a really complicated childhood. And there was just nowhere for me to get information to know that, like, I wasn't weird, you know, like, I wasn't different. I was just me, you know, and there's other people like me. So, I mean, I think this is amazing. Thank you for, you know, stepping up and doing it. That's awesome. Thank you. 
Yeah. So when when did Hope in a Box start? I was trying to look on the website, but I didn't see a year. So Hope in a Box started in 2018. Um, it's fairly you know newish organization. Our founder Joe English started this because he had the same desire to be seen, and he grew up in like upstate New York, not New York City, and um, he wanted he thought about the same thing that we're all talking about. What would it have been like? if I had had books that represented me. And so, you know, he started with a smaller cadre of schools. And, you know, today we've sent almost a thousand books. It's like a high number, like 987 or something like, you know, <laughs> I rounded up to a thousand to schools. And, you know, we've turned into this um, organization that, you know, people have been searching for. And honestly, I mean, in 2018, we were dealing with some of the things that we're dealing with today, but, you know, time goes fast mm-hmm. and so it just has become sort of an organization that is of its time. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's when we started. And, you know, I, I thank Joe every day for, for doing this. You talked a little bit about like, if an educator come like comes to hope in a box, reaches out to you kind of what they get. Can you go into a little more detail? I know it's really kind of extensive what you provide. Of course, if you sign up for Hope in a Box, um, once it is, it is decided to get your box, and the thing that I failed to mention is that boxes for Title I and rural schools are free. If you're a Title I school or rural school, these books are absolutely free. So you get a box somewhere between 15, 20 books, and, and that varies kind of based on Availability, really. Um, so you get you get a box of books, and you also get um, access to what we call our teacher hub. And in our teacher hub, we have curriculum for several of the books. We have other information about Hope in a Box and tips and that sort of thing. You also get access. We have a private Facebook group called Educators for Hope, where teachers, you know talk about what's going on, they share information, that sort of thing. But the one thing that I really love is you get access to these, uh, what we call small groups. And these educator small groups right now happen twice a week. Well, happen, you'll go once a week, but they happen two times a week for different groups. And one, one on like a Saturday and another one on, I think like Wednesday or so. And teachers get together and they talk about lots of things. One, how they're teaching these books or using these books, but they also talk about, you know, what's going on in their local area around these books and they get that type of support. And it also serves as a book club. They read one of the books Mm -hmm. um, that we have. And it's actually, the teacher small groups have been my favorite thing. You know, I am not in every state, right, that we're in. So I get to meet these teachers and talk to them and find out what's going on. Um, so that's what you get access to if uh, you get the box. Cool. That is very cool. <laughs> this is how, when I was thinking like, oh, they get a curriculum, I literally was picturing a binder of printed materials. So that's where my brain, when you were like, oh, it's like something I'll log into, I'm like, Wow, of course it is. Look at me thinking of printed binder. (laughs) (laughs) The curriculum is actually um, curriculum for different books that we have. 
And on our website, we have something called the Hope 100 that anyone can access. And it's our top 100 books, right? And you can see on the website, there'll be like a little star or something next to it. And it'll say it have curriculum. Now, if you don't have a box, you can't access that curriculum. But if you do um, are part of the project, then you can access that curriculum. Okay. Have you written any other books? The ones that I've read the most are like the we so you know we have elementary, middle, and high school books. Okay. Um, and some of the books that I have read that quite honest have had a huge impact on me are some of the elementary school picture books. Sure. Yeah. They are just one, you think back to like kids need this. And the elementary books aren't necessarily you know, blatantly saying, oh, somebody is gay. Like, you know, there's something maybe about two dads and two moms, but some of the Mm. books are, my favorite book is a book called Neither. And it's a book about this little creature who was neither this or that, right? Mm. There's like the land of this and the land of that. And then there was neither. And it's just, it's so sweet. And for any kid, right? Mm. Like, You know, you're not this, you're not that, you're neither. And um, how that, you know, they were accepted. And it was, it's just a sweet book. And, you know, then there's a book called Night and Night and um, Princess and Duchess, I think. And (laughs) you know, those, I I know I'm like silly. (laughs) It sounds silly. I love it though, no. I love those little kid picture books or, you know, early reader books. Um, yeah. Because they're so sweet. And I just think about, my wife is an elementary school teacher, actually. Oh, okay. And I think about the things that she talks about with her kids. And, you know, she teaches, you know, kindergarten to 10th, fifth grade. So they're like five to 10-ish. Yeah. And, you know, they know about who they are and their identities. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they're still forming identity, but... You know, I just think about them having her school has the books, um, but I just think about what it would be like for those little kids, and even a kid that is not queer, to like the land of this and that, or and I'm neither, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and to get affirmed that it's okay to be who you are, and if who you are is different, it's just fine. Um, so those are the books, you know. We've, hundreds of books on our list um and i haven't read all of them but when i think about the ones that i'm like oh my god it's so sweet. i love it yeah that makes sense given like you were saying like you learned how to read from kind of books like that so so you are the executive director what mm-hmm. does that exactly mean what does your day-to-day look like so I'm the executive director, and I will say the at this point, the only full-time employee of Hope in the Box. Um, I'll just give you a quick picture of what our, our team looks like. So there's me. I'm the executive director, and then we have a program manager who's part-time. Her name is Peyton Aiken. She is fabulous. If any teachers are listening, Peyton is the person that's always sending you the emails and you know catching up. And then we have um, two what we call community leads, Ryan and Kirsten, and they are like they specialize in sort of education and teacher education in particular. And they're volunteers, and they run our small groups and you know work with the teachers. So my job is to raise money. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a big part of my job. Thank you in person. Well, sort of in person, Holly, for your donation. <laughs> um, 
So my job is to raise money. My job is to expand the programs that we are doing and to recruit schools and that sort of thing. I, you know, interact a lot with our board of directors and I drive the strategic vision of the organization. So that's a rough thing of my job. But you did ask what my day is like. My day, I, I work remotely most of the time. Sometimes, you know, I started in September, so I'm still fairly new. But I have usually, you know, check an email and, and like anybody's job, right? And getting all that all the way. And then I usually have a series of meetings during the day. I met with the school district earlier this week about, you know, getting books out to all of their schools. You know, a lot of their schools are rural and or Title One, So we'll get books out there. And then we talk about the schools that don't. Um, some schools you can pay for a box. If you're a private school or not, I don't want a rural school. You can pay for a box. So I met with that school. I met with a board member. Um, about a project that we're working on. So it's a series of meetings and, and that sort of thing. I'm, sometimes we have our team meetings and really just talking to folks and getting the word out. I'm looking forward to working on some things where we can actually get out into the real world since we can go outside again. Um, <laughs> get out to go across the country to places that support us and teaching uh, folks about hope in a box and what we do. That's my job to, to get the word out. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So now we get to talk about banned books. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't be so excited, Holly. <laughs> no, okay. This is so funny because today when I was just thinking about our conversation tonight, I was like thinking about banned books. And obviously, you know, you mentioned before, like, Hope in a Box starting in 2018, you know, banned books over the last two years, like we have seen such an increase, like triple the amount of banned books in years past. And I mean, I remember when I went to high school or I, I don't know, I wasn't in high school. Maybe I was in middle school. Like the book Holes was banned. Like, mm -hmm. like Derek said, Harry Potter, like maybe for Holes was banned because it was like defying authority and, you know, Harry Potter with mm -hmm. the witchcraft. But now we're seeing sort of this kind of like a direct target for LGBTQ and like anti-racist ideas. And correct me if I'm wrong, this, but the, the reason I laugh when I said you talk about man books is because I served jury duty like toward the end of, of last year and you can't talk with anyone about, you know, the case, including the other jurors. And so one thing we would do to pass the time is look up all the books that had been banned and we would discuss like, why did we think they had been banned? <laughs> really? And it was just so funny because so many of us, you know, we were it, it, really just strangers, you know, stuck in a room and we'd be like, wait, why was that one banned? Why was that one banned? And a lot of it is like, classics that maybe at the time were seen as controversial, but obviously now we're seeing more of this like direct target. So as far as I understand it, like anyone can sort of propose to ban a book in a school district. It's really just sort of like they present, you know, their reasoning for wanting it to be banned. And then either the librarian or the school board like votes and the decision is comes from that. I'm curious, I think you spoke a little bit to it, but just can you speak to like the ripple effect that all of this banning books, especially when it comes to LGBTQ and, 
you know, diverse ideas? Like what is the ripple effect that that has on students? You know, the ultimate ripple effect that it has on students is they're not seen. And and they think that their identities are not valued and they're not valued, right? And it's interesting, we talk about banned, there's banned books and there's challenged books. And it's exactly what you said. A banned book is banned. We don't want it in schools or, you know, that, that sort of thing. And a challenged book is that. It's been challenged by someone. And, you know, so that's interesting, right? Be, being a Black queer person, right? You are banning my identity. <laughs> you are challenging who I am, right? And I think that's the ultimate effect and that's always been the ultimate effect, that there's no free, free flow of ideas, you know, the censorship piece of it. But what's really interesting to me about this most recent challenge, the most recent bannings and challenges, is the effect that it has on educators. Right. Educators and libra- librarians are like, you know, can be threatened to lose their job. Mm-hmm. In Florida, you could, you know, it's it's possible to go to jail. It could be a third class felony, right? And what's interesting is there's all this back and forth. So I'll clear this up before we put this out to the world. Is that yes, because people are like, you know, Florida is it having a felony? It's not that people aren't reading it right. It's I read the actual law, right? I went and read it, and it said possibly a third class felony. I personally think it's probably more of an empty threat. But it's there. Someone is could could act on it, right? Like, uh, we have a teacher in um, from Florida, in one of our small groups. We have several teachers from Florida, but this particular one is in our small groups. And recently, you know, they were told that they couldn't have you know books on the shelf that you know talked about sexuality, all of these things, right? And if they did, it could be a third class felony. It's possible it could get fined up to there, and. Teachers were taking books off their shelves there. You know, if you look at some of the articles, teachers have covered them up with like paper, like their bookshelves are covered in paper because it's like if we it, it can't even be shown, you know, there. And so we said to this teacher, we said, well, did you take them all down? And she's like, nope, I'm risking going to jail. She was wow. like, I'm keeping them up. And she's like, the only ones that I took down, because I think she teaches elementary school. And she said, the only ones that I took down are ones that people may think are, are more middle school books. So they're not really mm-hmm. age appropriate anyway, regardless of the topic. She said, I took those down, but the rest of them, I kept up. And she's risking so much by doing this. And I think to me, yes, the ultimate impact is students not being seen, not feeling like they belong, but also educators are risking their careers. Yeah, yeah, I think bring up a good point because I'll be honest. I, I mean, obviously I heard about Florida's, you know, don't I mean we're calling it the don't say gay law, but I thought when I hear about it and the very little that I read about it, I thought it was one thing. But I, when I was actually preparing the questions for our conversation today and looked at the law, it is really a parental rights law that targets educators, which actually floored me even more than what I initially thought the law meant. So it's just like if you're saying if if a, if a child comes home from school and says my teacher spoke about gender or sexuality, like that's it. Yep. And the, th- the thing that's interesting, too, about these newer laws is they're getting more sophisticated, if you can call it that. Like, you know, when we people think of banned books, it's like I think about what is it? Huckleberry Finn? Was yeah. Like, <laughs> Finn, it's banned, right? Color purple. Yeah. 
Right. You can't have Huckleberry Finn, color purple in school. Cannot have it done. That's pretty straightforward, right? Like a teacher no understands what that means. Like these books are not to be in my classroom. I can't teach about them. But these are, they just describe like anything that is sexual. They have these descriptors. So it's like, this is like left up to the principal, the parent really to decide mm -hmm. what they think is too sexual to whatever the word is, right? For their kids. And so that is really scary because mm -hmm. yeah. that just means anyone can come in. Um, and talk about that. Um, and that's what's really scary for me because they, they've just basically opened it up to like just have full control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's terrifying. It, it's really terrifying. And I, you know, one of the newer programs that I want to start doing and, you know, we're, we're in, I'm in the works. I'm saying we, but I'm in the works of thinking about how to do this is that we are at this point giving teachers books that could get them fired um yeah and them in you know with some type of legal charges um so i want to as part of our support for teachers to provide them with like here are tips if you have these laws in your jurisdiction right, right. Mm -hmm. um it's gonna take me a little while because i gotta you know every jurisdiction is different right mm -hmm. and it, to be quite frank every school district has like you know these certain books are not appropriate to be yeah and that's makes sense right so every school district usually has something like that right mm -hmm. but it's not as nuanced and not you know as directed as what we're seeing in some of these places so i want to give teachers tips on you know if the books that you have um are challenged for whatever reason here's some tips on what you can do yeah that's because, I mean, you know, Derek and I live in Texas and what happened in Granbury, Texas, that has been sort of the root of this, this, I mean, they banned like 130 books or something just in 2022. And I think it's Florida and Texas that have like the, the top, which we'll get into what else Florida and Texas are doing a little later, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, I know for me personally, like I'm a huge reader. I've always been a huge reader, but in, in 2020, when, you know, institutional racism was sort of brought to the forefront of a lot of people's minds, uh, one thing that happened was like all of these books with, from, you know, Ibram X. Kendi and um, Britt Bennett, like became bestsellers mm -hmm. because all the white people went out and bought all these books by black authors, which is fantastic. But it came along with this conversation of like, does reading books by black authors or LGBTQ authors, does that really change laws? Is that really activism? And I know as a reader, like for me, I see reading as like an entry point into the conversation and it's a way for me to privately learn where it is not, it is not someone's job to educate me on what I don't know. Um, but I'm curious where, where you stand on that. Like how can bringing these books back into schools combat uh, ultimately like these divisive laws? Well, as I said, students get to be seen, right? They get to see themselves and students who are not LGBTQ or not Black, you know, in the case of books uh, about uh, Black folks, 
they get to learn that there are other people in this world, right? Like, to be honest with you, I think, you know, the ultimate goal is students get to be seen. But my second goal is like, these kids need to know that there are other people that are not like them in this world, yeah. right? And if you grow up and you understand that not only people are not like you, but there are ways that this country discriminates against them, be it be about racism or homophobia or sexism, you know, and, you know, they're, and they can get to be who they are. Like, you've got to realize that there are other people that are different. When I think about these book bans, um, particularly the book bans about race, and I know, you know, in Hope in a Box, we definitely are intersectional, but, you know, we, you know, LGBTQ, but particularly these book bans about race, it's like, well, it's going to make my child feel uncomfortable because they're white, right? And then the books about sexual orientation, it just makes me feel uncomfortable, you know, as a parent. And it's all about this discomfort, Right. And we're all uncomfortable with things that we haven't done before or experienced before. And this idea of comfort, you know, folks wanting comfort, whatever that majority identity is, it's like you want comfort. Right. Like, and so this thing that's different is uncomfortable. And yeah, I think reading these books as kids, hopefully, you know, the cliche, the children are the future, <laughs> they will grow up understanding about other people's lives. Right. You know, I grew up in Appomattox, Virginia. Not a lot of white, not a lot of black folks, you know, not really a lot of at least out LGBTQ folks. And so, you know, people don't see these people. They, and when you don't see something, what do you think? It doesn't exist. Right. Yeah, that's that's what I think. It's just that we need to let these kids know that they're okay and that there's a diverse group of people out there that have all kinds of lives. But what's interesting is, too, we have all kinds of lives, but a lot of the things are the same. So, for example, one of our books is King of the Dragonflies. And I won't give it away too, too much, but the, the young man in this book is dealing with a death. And, you know, one of the teachers talked about how a student, and I think this person happened to be an LGBTQ student, but a student was dealing with the death of a family member and they had them read that book and they used that book. Perfect. All people live, deal with death. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, and so it also humanizes everyone. Mm -hmm. right? It humanizes Black folks. It humanizes LGBTQ people. There are common, yes, we are different in lots of ways, but there are some common denominators in life. And so, yeah, I feel like I'm rambling, but that's... It's okay. <laughs> no, whenever you said the parents saying like, well, it's going to make my kids feel uncomfortable, I feel like, and we kind of talked about the danger of who the decision makers are, like, who are they to say that it would make their kids feel uncomfortable? Because like I said, I was raised in, you know, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I have a lot of racist family members. So I grew up with, you know, a lot of that surrounding me. And I specifically remember in fourth grade, before I started at the Christian private school, I was in a public school and had a black teacher and a black teaching assistant. And for Black History Month, we had a whole week of, you know, really deep ingrained black history stuff i remember singing a swing low sweet chariot like it was such an immersive week and i never once felt uncomfortable i had so much fun learning about a different culture that i was never exposed to like 
I remember it. I'm 35. And I remember that from whenever I was, what, nine or 10? Like, that was profound to me. So I feel like it's just so dangerous for parents to put their issues on their kids. I mean, we all know that's that's how life works, but that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's what, you know, parents, like, parents that don't want to have like the sex talk with their kids like it makes yeah. them uncomfortable. like who does it make uncomfortable the kids or you yeah right right and the, you know here's the thing about kids having agency kids are human beings they have agency yes they you know the elementary school kids that my wife works with they don't necessarily know a lot about the world but you'd be amazed at some of the conversations that she says as she comes and has you know home mm. and has with these kids about religion <laughs> about all kinds of things right they know things mm-hmm. um, and i think by you know acting like children are these little you know, clay mounds that we can mold. <laughs> yeah, to some extent, but they're they're own they're their own people. Right. And they're gonna become their own people. And it's all about the information that they have access to to help them be well-rounded, nice adults. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nice, reasonable adults. Yeah. One of my good friends has kids. I'm not around kids a whole lot. <laughs> But one of my good friends has like a six and an eight year old and I've, I've spent a good amount of time with them recently. And whenever the six year old, the little girl figured out that I was married to a man, she was like, you're married to a man. How is that possible? And so we had to have that conversation of like men can marry men, women can marry women. You know, not everyone is a man or a woman. Like we had that whole conversation. And like once it clicked for her, she thought it was cool. She like everyone we saw, like after that, she was like, Did you know that Derek is married to a man and that's okay? <laughs> it was like the time of her life. Exactly. But what's so interesting about that is that. She's only six, right? Mm-hmm. I'm assuming since they're kids of your friends that your friends don't care that you're married to a man. Uh, and course, that they're yeah. with it, but she's only six, but in the world, in the suit that she's been swimming in, she's like, how are you married to a man? And that's the reason we need to have yeah. books so yeah. kids know, like, you know, you can marry a man, you can marry a woman. It's interesting you say that. So our, our nephew, um, when my wife and I got married, we didn't have, we had a no kids wedding. Like nobody could come to our wedding that was mm-hmm. under like 15. And our nephew at the time, I don't know, he was probably seven, eight. I don't know. He was young. He came to our house, like, I don't know, some months after the wedding. We had photos of our wedding. And he was like, you got married? And and we were like, yeah. And, you know, at first I was like, oh, boy. Here you go. And he was like, why wasn't I invited? wasn't invited not because you you know we got married and it's like you're i was expecting like here we was this conversation Mm -hmm. he wanted to come and so you don't give kids enough credit i just yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely we don't give them enough credit you you talked a, a minute about the intersectionality which is i i had a question about that because i know for me pretty much right when trump became president i changed my career path a little bit and worked for Whole Woman's Health, which is an abortion clinic based in Texas. And they have a history fighting, you know, laws, um, anti-choice laws. And when I started working there, I knew nothing about the 
historic fight of abortion rights and the intersectionality of all of it. And that is one thing that really opened my eyes a ton. So just for our listeners, I think if you could touch on the intersectionality, like this is not just about books, like it's, it's a larger calculated effort. Um, You've kind of mentioned it, but if you would just kind of share like your insight on that. Absolutely. Um, So yes, it's not just about books. It is about folks, the kids seeing themselves, teachers having freedom to teach and all of these things. Uh, But the intersectionality piece is, you know, we have books about folks from all walks of life, right? Um, People of color, we have a couple of books, you know, I'll say that out there. Hopefully there are some authors that, you know, with some disabled folks, this idea that when it comes to um, queerness, that it's kind of seen as white, right? Like it's just coded as white in, in our world. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure that kids of color, be they black kids, Latinx kids, you know, they see themselves and know that they can also be queer, right? And so that's the intersectionality piece that we want to get. And we want to make sure that when, you know, teachers are, you know, teaching these books and and I'll be honest with you, a lot of the teachers are just sort of teaching them one-on-one. They have a classroom library and they have, you know, students come in, you know, but that teachers know how to talk to kids about this book in the context of that student's cultural experience. Right. Um, And that's what the intersectionality piece is for us, is that, like I said, I was a little didn't know I was a little queer kid when I was reading those Dick and Jane books, but I knew those books were not for me. Mm. You know, even because neither there and I call them creatures because it's like, I don't know, some type of little bird and little rabbit, but type of thing, they're creatures. If I had read neither as a kid, it was like, I would feel okay. I think often about, and this is going to be so sad, but I, you know, the um, claymation Rudolph, the red nose. Yeah. Reindeer. Yeah. You know, you know that one? And you know how they go, you know, it's on the, the misfit, the island the misfit of toys. Yeah. And he sings that song. I'm just a misfit, that sort of thing. When I was little, like, I used to watch that and I would just cry and be like, that's me. I'm a misfit. I need mm. to be on the island of misfit toys. And if I had had a, some books, <laughs> to you know say that it's okay and you know Rudolph was ultimately okay right to be a misfit but that's all once a year because I grew up in the country so we didn't have cable and we you know when I was really small VCRs weren't even a thing that's how old I am um, so it's not like I got to watch it over and over and over again mm-hmm. um, once a year I would get affirmed about about being different Right. And I again, I didn't know I was different because I was a queer person because nobody ever talked to me about it. I didn't know what was going on and that sort of thing. I was black. I was a little fat kid. That's the intersectionality of it. People aren't just LGBTQ. They aren't just, you know, black, Asian. They aren't just, you know, disabled. They are all these things at the same time. The joke that I often tell is I wish I could wake up in the morning and look at the news on my phone and go, you know what? It's not a good day to be black. I'm not going to be black today. Mm-mm. Just going to be a woman and going to be queer. That's it. Like, I wish I could pick and choose, but I can't. I'm all of those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our, you know, quite a few of our books, not all of our books. And that's also because they're not a whole lot of authors of color, you know, mm-hmm. writing about this sort of thing. Um, right. 
thing that we would love to empower these youth to do. These little, the little Latinx kid out there reading this book. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grow up and write a book about my life. Mm-hmm. We need more books like that. We mm-hmm. need more people seeing things from several perspectives. And I think that's the other thing about people saying they feel uncomfortable, right? They're uncomfortable with juggling all of these ideas at the same time. And, and they are uncomfortable, but their kids are not. Kids can think about a million things, right, at a time. But as adults, we feel like we have to parse things out to them. And we don't, especially teenagers, right? Like, we spend a lot of time talking about kids in elementary school. But, you know, middle and high school students are like little mini adults. Yeah. And, and they are ready for different sorts of information. Yeah. I think the other part of... Hope in a Box is providing access to this information. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I assume a lot of the schools that are looking for this are in these red states, rural areas, where maybe students that go there um, don't have, like, book money to go, okay, my yes. my school doesn't have LGBTQ books, but I can go buy it. No. Yes, I think, thank you for bringing up class. I totally left that out. That's the other thing. Students that don't have the money to go, to go buy these books, I... There's a teacher, I can't remember where she's from, but she talked about how the books are all, and she teaches high school, how they're all like, like the pages have been thumbed and, cause, you know, and, and, and this sort of thing. And she also talks about how some of the books just disappear. <laughs> like, mm. and, and she restocks them in her own classroom, but, you know, they, they disappear. And um, there, I forget, there was one particular book, and I can't remember which one she was talking about. She's like, it always disappears. <laughs> she's mm. like, it always ends up disappearing. And it's like, if the students didn't need these books, they wouldn't be so worn. They wouldn't disappear. Like, if they mm. don't want to read it, they just wouldn't read it. Right. right. Um, and, and a lot of these books are about contemporary things. Now, again, I know that the Scarlet Letter is a classic work. <laughs> I know that. I remember not really reading it in high school. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I read some of it, but the thing is, and it's a classic work. And I, I think that's fine to know about classic works. But like, even I, as a, as a high school student in the 90s, like this woman, cheats on her husband and you have to put a letter A. Can we have a more, I get it, it's a contemporary issue, but can we put it in a more contemporary spin so contemporary students can understand Mm -hmm. about the misogyny in that book? You you know what I mean? Like, uh, according to these teachers, the students, they just, like, eat these books. That's so Uh, sweet. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Derek and I, we, I think we, we both have talked a lot about like a lot of the causes and charities out there are charities and causes we wish we did not have to have, Um, which Hope in a Box is definitely one of those. Like, I wish there was not a need for this. And I think, I think one thing is like, these sorts of things have always been political, but I think they've they've become more political and divisive in the in the past, you know, handful of years. And I'm curious if that sort of political nature of of hope in the box, um, which it sounds so crazy to say that, but it's like we had the same thing when I worked at the abortion clinic. It's like it is political whether you want it to be or not. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that 
worked in our favor in terms of getting funding because it was like, hey, help us combat these attacks. But sometimes it doesn't because people don't don't want to put their money towards something like that. So does Hope in a Box face that uh, those hurdles or? Most of our individual donors are looking to support something that supports LGBTQ kids. Like that sort of thing, supporting LGBTQ kids. I just want to really quick say something about this being political. Yeah. When people's identities are political. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. Again, I keep using my own identity, but I'm a Black woman who is queer. So my entire identity is political and up for a vote. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, whether it's my right to an abortion whether people can teach about my history in this country or whether people can teach and talk about my life, my everyday life, you know, married to a woman, that sort of thing. So I just think, like, I know it's political and I know we're here, but it burns me up. Like, my identity is not a politic. Yeah. But I think um, a lot of our donors are are like, let's help LGBTQ kids. Mm -hmm. I think because when we started, I mean, this stuff was going on, but, you know, it wasn't going on as much. Like you said, that the politics of it wasn't the center of it. Um, And it's sort of grown around us. And I think, you know, we need to support at this point, teachers are being thrown in this political you know, ocean, political storm. Mm. And we, it's, I think it's our obligation to support them. And I'm hoping that folks that donate to us, yes, I I want you to want to support LGBTQ kids, but I also want you to realize that you're doing more than that. You're supporting teachers' right to teach. Mm. (laughs) You know, you're, you know, being anti-censorship. You are being, you know, you know, anti-ban books. Like there's a lot of things. And yes, that's our ultimate goal is to make sure LGBTQ youth feel included in schools, but we are doing so, it's about so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I want donors to know is that we're doing, that's what we're doing. And we are in conversation right now about, because we're 501c3. So, you know, we can't influence people's votes and all of that. Sure. Yeah. But there are ways, I think that we can support things like there's this act out now called the i think it's called the right to read act it's gonna die i'm sure in committee (laughs) um but you know to let people know more about things like that and again to educate teachers on their rights to educate students on their rights we are we're in conversation right now about how we do that and how we do that and not you know lose our 501c3 status and that sort of thing for sure (laughs) you know now that I say that, that's the thing about, you know, these book bands and this, people are not listening to these kids. They are telling you what they need and who they are. And no, you're not listening. And we all know the consequences of that. You know, suicide rates for trans and LGBTQ youth are the highest, right? And then you add a person of color, female, you know, poor onto that like that's a lot of stuff it's a lot of heavy weight and just listen just just listen to what their life is like instead of i think there's a lot of in this country this is i hear this a lot this is who we are you know as a country and 
who we are to some people totally doesn't represent other folks. You know, mm-hmm. and students and people are like, well, what about me? That that picture that you're painting doesn't have me in it. It's like, well, this is who we are, so you need to fit into that. And it's like, but I keep telling you, I don't. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we we are working on, you know, the first arm of that advocacy is what I told you, that Hope in a Box will be providing um, some tips and strategies for teachers to deal with this stuff. And then I'm hoping to figure out how we're actually gonna be able to go and do more policy stuff once we figure out, you know, our survival won't see status, but also how to navigate this landscape. It is not. And I, like I said, I've done it before. I've been on the Hill. I've lobbied mm-hmm. folks yeah. before. This is a whole different ballgame. Like it is different. And I'm like, I am not even sure how we do it. <laughs> or if we should. You know, maybe it's just me going. And I live, I actually live um, in Maryland, in Prince George's County, Maryland. So I live near D.C. Um, And, you know, it could just be me (laughs) going by myself. It's also scary in other kinds of ways. My wife would probably be like, no. (laughs) 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 You're not doing that. But it could could just end up being me. Um, I would love to take students and teachers and be able to tell their story. but anyway, we're trying to figure that out. But we definitely want well, donors to know that regardless of what happens, we're still going to give these books out. We're mm-hmm. still going to fight to have students see themselves. And, you know, I, I, we are working with a, a company that's trying to help us understand our donor personas. And so we did this survey on who we think our donors are. And, you know, I was looking at the survey and 50-50 people said straight, didn't other LGBTQ. And it's that's, I think it is. I think anybody who ultimately cares about kids being seen, kids feeling safe, that's who are who I think wants to give us money. Well, Holly, why did, how did you find us? Why did you give us money? <laughs> Yeah, I actually um, was telling Derek about this, that I watched this show on HBO Max called We're Here. I don't know if you watch it, but it's uh, about drag. It's the three like three popular drag queens, Bob the Drag Queen, Eureka Mm -hmm. and Shangela, which they just wrapped their third season. And what they do each episode is they roll up in these huge tour buses to a rural town that is usually very conservative and they put on a free drag show. But what they do during the episode is they meet with each drag queen sort of meets, becomes a drag mother to someone in the community. And that person in the community has like a reason for wanting to be in the show. Maybe their son is LGBTQ and they want to understand it. Maybe it's someone who is fighting for LGBTQ rights. Maybe it's someone who just want, uh, they've had politicians that say, you know, I want people to know that like I support the gay community or whatever. So it's mm-hmm. sort of a story of putting on a drag show and then having all these people come in the community and support it, it almost every episode makes me cry because it's such a beautiful but fun show and so for the season three premiere they went to Granbury, texas which one of the pers- like one of the people that wanted to be in the show was a student at a high school in Granbury that had the books banned that i think it was identified as she she her she 
was using her own money to purchase LGBTQ books for her classroom because she said she did not feel seen exactly what you're saying. And I bawled my eyes out and I'm someone who like as a white straight female, like I'm in all kinds of books. I am represented in all kinds of books. And throughout these last few years, you know, we've been told about representation matters and I truly believe that, but I think seeing it in that show true, like, I was just like, oh my God, like, what would my life be like if I had never seen myself in a book, especially because like, I look to books for like an escape or I look to books for information. Like I turn to them for so many different reasons. And like, so as soon as the episode was over, I was like, I need to see how I can help. And I didn't even know what to Google. And so I think I just Googled like, help put LGBTQ books in schools or something like that. And hope in a box was the first thing that came up. And I was like, it looks legit. I'm donating right now. Like the whole thing just tore me apart. And like the idea of it still is so disgusting. Like I, I can't even explain it. Well, thank you again so much. And we are legit. We're... (laughs) 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 And I actually have heard of that show and, um, it's making me wonder if that school has our books. Yeah, it was like, uh, I would have to... Um, I will look at it. I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, you should. If, even if you just um, Google, like, we're here, Greenberry, Texas, like, there's a bunch of articles that came up, come up about it. That's when I... Because I knew in Texas it was big, but, like, just knowing that that one town was really the center of this... I mean, we mm-hmm. saw the videos of that school board meeting go viral where the mom was just, like, going off. And I could be wrong, but I'm 99% sure her her son is a member of the LGBTQ community because there's an article in the Texas Tribune about his experience seeing that video. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, this is heartless. Like, I can't... I can't relate. I can't relate. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing that I want your listeners and folks to understand about this is that hope in a box. And I say this about myself personally, we and I, we're not here to try to change anybody's religious belief about this. What we want to do is keep LGBTQ kids safe. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people will think, well, you know, like the safe schools legislation, you know, it's about keeping kids safe. How is, you know, reading books about LGBTQ people keeping them safe? Because when people see themselves represented, they are less depressed. (laughs) They're not going to die by suicide, you know, and those sorts of things. And that's how keeping people safe. And I think when there are people, you mentioned, you, you know, you're, you know, you're straight white woman, when there are people who don't have, when there are people who don't have these identities and they always see themselves, it's really, really hard for them to imagine not seeing themselves, right? It makes me think about years ago, I had an internship in in Baltimore and we like stayed together as interns. And one of the friends I had made was a white woman from Georgia. We were in my apartment just talking or whatever, and I had Essence magazines. And Essence magazines were like a black woman's like beauty fashion magazine. And she was flipping through this magazine and she was like, you know, she's like, it's really odd. She's like, I don't see any white women in this magazine. <laughs> and she's like, is this what it's like when you look at like, you know, Cosmo or whatever? And I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, 
Yes. And it was yeah. the and we were in our 20s, right? Like mm-hmm. the first time that she had picked up any sort of media where she was not represented. And so I think trying to get people out of that mindset, like I get it, what you're saying, but you don't understand mm-hmm. what it's like to grow up in this world. And I get it too, because a fish doesn't know it's in water. Right. So yeah. if you live in a world where everybody is like you and looks like you and thinks like you and all this, you don't realize what it's like for people who are different. Right. It's kind of mm-hmm. like girl on SpongeBob who has to wear the the helmet, <laughs> right? Like what's her I can't remember her name. But it, you you all know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, but she finds a way, you know, but SpongeBob and Patrick didn't think about, oh, maybe we can devise something so we can go on land. She had to come down there with her helmet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, like, this is the first time I've actually, I've, I've thought about that, but like, hmm, how can we make that into a <laughs> more metaphor, SpongeBob? Like, who who would relate to that? I, I you know, what, what, what generation of folks would relate to SpongeBob? <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what that makes me think about. Well, you mentioned keeping kids safe and, you know, on the flip side, you know, we, we've said a couple of times, like the books aren't just important for LGBTQ youth. It's important for our allies as well, because the more they have the chance to understand it, the more accepting they'll be, because I was bullied a lot, you know, growing up for just being, you know, kind of a sissy boy or whatever. And there was a couple of times where like, I think, I mean, thank God I, I was never like actually like hazed or anything, but there's a lot of hazing that happens. You know, people like hate crimes and, you know, every, all that happens at schools. So mm-hmm. I think it, it helps with that too. And I think that's the thing that people underestimate is the the bullying and that sort of thing. I was bullied for being a fat kid when, when I was a kid. And um, I think people are like, well, you know, kids will be kids. Right. They'll say that. Yeah. And I don't think that folks who aren't bullied understand mm-hmm. the impact that that has on you. Yeah. For a lifetime. Right. Like not I've, I've spent some hours in therapy talking about that. Bullying. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't think people understand the impact that these things have on kids. The yeah. long reaching impact, too. Like you don't just get over it. No. Yeah. No, you did not. Well, we have kept you past the hour at this point. Good <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Is there anything that we didn't bring up that you were hoping to discuss? No, I just think, you know, again, I just want to reiterate, if you want to help students give to Hope in a Box, please, you can reach us on hopeinabox.org. I can send you all my socials so you all can mm-hmm. have socials. And for anybody that's listening, that's an educator in a rural or Title I school, in any school, really, but if you're in a rural or Title I school, you can get these books for free. And so please, you know, reach out to us. If you go to hopeinabox.org, you can sign up um, and find out about it. If you are not a rural or Title I school, you can also get these books. Just contact us and we'll talk to you about that. But I really appreciate the time. It's been a great conversation. Yes. Um, I, I kind of want to do it again. Like <laughs> <laughs> every Wednesday we meet and we have a half Right. Let's meet me. uh, themed, themed cocktails and talk about the state of 
banned books. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, so you mentioned your socials. Um, mm-hmm. I, I looked you up at Hope in a Box Inc. is Instagram. Yes, you're right. I've got a list. Hold on. Okay, <laughs> we'll put them in the show notes too. Yeah, but Hope in a Box Inc. on Instagram. And on Facebook, it's just Hope in a Box. It's Hope in a Box Inc. as well. Um, Hopeinabox.org is our is our website. And Twitter, we're also on Hope in a Box Inc. as well. Cool. I love it. Love oh it too. Gosh. Thank you all so much. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. So yeah, you too. It was so nice meeting you. And nice just you lovely hearing all about it. And lovely hearing about you. Great. Thank you all. Yes. If you're ever in Austin, let us know. I will. You know, Austin is actually, when I was talking about some of the things we're thinking about doing, Mm -hmm. um, we're thinking about having something called a Hope in a Box book club. I mean, book tour, where we come out to different jurisdictions and often as well in places. Yes, that would be awesome. Yeah, let us know. And if if y'all do that, let us know how we can support too, because, you know, we'd be happy to volunteer, help however we can. Awesome. So I'll be in touch about that. But yeah, and I've been to Austin once. I love Austin. Yeah. yeah. It was a fun place. All right. Have a good night. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Holly, where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram and Twitter at OrangeJulias7. Also on TheBitterLemon.com and on Etsy, Bitter Lemon Digital. And Derek, where can people find you? So I am on Instagram with my personal account at yoga with Derek, and that's D-E-R-E-K, spelled the correct way. And on Instagram for yoga for all humans, it is at yoga for all humans on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Um, don't judge my TikTok game. I'm still learning. On LinkedIn, you can sync up with me, Derek Hagler, on there. And Yoga for All Humans has its own LinkedIn account as well. And of course, yogaforallhumans.com is the studio's website. Small Business Happy Hour has its own Instagram account at Small Business Happy Hour. Or you can email us at smallbusinesshappyhour at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers. See you next Tuesday. Tuesday.